0: I don't think you have to do things for money anymore.
1: Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius, and today we're going to talk some LeBron James. LeBron made a surprise return uh, the last game of the homestand uh, against Chicago. The game did not go well, but I was thrilled to see him back in action. They gave a they gave the media a little bit of an okey doke. They were talking about you know LeBron being available the last three games of the year, and he came back with eight left. I think that's a huge development, D, because we saw in that game, it's just an adjustment. Austin was talking about this in postgame. You just play differently when you have a guy like that out there that's going to have the ball. And we played well in his minutes. We didn't lose that game because of the minutes he played. But just getting kind of back on track requires some reps, especially with a team that has no continuity to fall back on. We'll see with D'Lo. This will be our 20th game since the trade deadline or since the new guys got here. And there's only been one of them with both LeBron and and dilo so hopefully uh wednesday night is that night but uh talk to me man lebron returns i think it's a huge deal to kind of get some get some continuity before knock on wood play a play in game or a playoff game so first of all 100% agree
2: with all of that let's let's backtrack a second to the timeline and yeah. And so this is where it's funny, He went right? to the because LeBron James of Feet, this-
1: Darius. The LeBron James yes. of Feet. <laughs> so you read the
2: quote and it's funny enough, but you see when you see the video and him sort of wondering, am I actually going to finish this sentence? <laughs> right? Like he, because he, he said, I went to the LeBron James of, and then there's like a <laughs> the briefest of pauses.
1: And oh, this what have idea I got of, myself into? am
2: I really going to say... <laughs> Too far down? Like, I've happens gone to too me, far down like, to two, turn Two, Three back. times
1: a pod for me. So I, I feel that.
2: <laughs> so we always talk about how LeBron too is super intentional with the things that he says. I think that's especially true of how he says things on Twitter, for example, because he has the ability to not hit send and the thousands upon thousands of unsent tweets. Yeah, or
1: you just like delete that it I have and you're like, yeah, where that's not I'm just worth
2: like, it. no, no, not saying that. If we recall the timeline, LeBron was supposed to be reevaluated after 3 weeks with an update to come at that time. The 3 week mark would have been last Thursday, and the Lakers actually gave an update on Tuesday, right? Which was the most generic of non-update updates that you could have given. The he has returned to some form of on-court activities and is continuing his progression towards Return to play, or whatever it was, right? Which is basically just like that could mean he's standing up and shooting free throws like we Um, had seen him doing. It's no indication that he's anywhere close. Exactly. And so, but right after that, the leaks came and it was reporter after reporter. It was Woj, it was Chris Haynes, it was Shams, it was everyone. And so it's like, you know, we're hearing LeBron is targeting a return like. The last week of the season, like with three to four games left. It's like, okay. literally within an hour of that, LeBron is tweeting. Yeah. Like I speak for myself. Sources will say whatever they want. Like there's no timeline. There was no update. Right. And there was some sort of like it was the team who gave the update. No, 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 no. LeBron's not pushing back about what the team said because the team didn't say anything that's right the team in fact re like lebron if anything was reiterating exactly what the team said that's right because the team specifically said (laughs) there is no timeline for his return and lebron saying i'll speak for myself there's still no timeline and it turns out there was a timeline it just wasn't the one that he was talking about because he he he's just like i'm he apparently he's feeling better and he's like he went to the lebron james feet
0: He said he tore a tendon, man.
2: He said he tore tendon in his foot. How is he back? And that dude said that you're healing like Wolverine, apparently. So he's back. So I just wanted to give that context first because the idea there was, if you listen to the national pods, it wasn't, there was no optimism. If anything, it was like, well, he's doing everything he can to get back but we'll see and coming back this early with this much time left could you imagine if he came back with two games left exactly. and he played the game that he did the other day which he played fine and mm-hmm. we'll get into that in a second but all of the timing stuff all of the like this pass wasn't accurate all of like, oh, AD's diving. Is this passed to AD or is it actually to the guard who's sweeping in behind mm-hmm. him? Like, there was a lot of that stuff going on. And that's to be expected when you haven't played. And he said that post game. Just the context of time matters here. And I was super, like, I don't know, ecstatic doesn't describe the fact that, like, they actually get however many practices they're, gonna have, however many they're going to have, however many shoot arounds they're going to have, however many walk arounds in some conference room at a hotel that they're going to have. He is going to be a part of those now in a way that he wasn't going to be able to before, and then take those ideas out onto the court with him. And he's one of the best in the world at that. The thing now, is just like the thing that we just discussed, I'm going to implement that on the course yes. and be a conductor of that. There's, Few players in the world and in the history of the game who have been better at that than this dude. I'm holding
1: on to that. He's the brain and the conductor and the guy who leads the team. He's our leader. And that ability to be a part of it, especially on a team that we can so often talk about games and teams as a collection of talent rather than a a cohesive team that works together. And that's such a big part of basketball, the ability to play together. There are so many actions throughout a game, literally thousands, where you do one thing and the One of your teammates does something else because you did the thing that you did. And so learning the timing of of all of that takes a certain amount of reps that even at this point, like I, I said, with about 20, 25 games left, we need to stay healthy from now till the end of the season to really have a crack at some big things. Now we're in kind of the house money territory for me, where we got a lot of talent. There's just not enough time. But If there's anybody who is able to kind of get us all on the same page, LeBron James is very high up there for exactly the reason that you were stating, D. So I actually want to start on the defensive end, though, because there were – There were two possessions in the last game, and this is more about a leadership thing, and this isn't all on LeBron by any means, but this is just kind of an everyone thing where we gave up points because we weren't matched up. Like there's one out of a dead ball where two guys were guarding one guy on the perimeter. We left Zach Levine by himself. There was a second play, and these are the types of plays, D, that like require a certain amount of mental focus and, and being locked in that if you don't have that at this time of the season, that's actually really bad. And- On a team that is such a collection of talent rather than a team that's so early in kind of their story and has no chance to get later into it that communication is something. And that leadership from from that spot defensively, I think is going to be super important. Our guys need to talk and communicate because there's so much that they need to get on the same page on. And that level of communication is kind of the way to do that in the amount of time that we have. So LeBron on the defensive end, especially, I think a certain level of verve and communication to whatever his uh, physical abilities are in terms of the verve, right? It's more about the concentration. That's the tough part, right? Is that I don't want LeBron going like it's game six of the NBA finals, but these are the highest stakes games of the season, right? And so threading that to me is more about like attention and leadership and a sort of like, hey, we all have to be on the same page. 100%. I don't know how much to chalk up some of that stuff to like the early game
2: and then yes. LeBron's return. And like there were so many factors that go in to that. I'm not
1: excusing it. I'm just saying that this is kind of what can happen. So this is something that has been part of the character of our team. We've made a lot of mistakes throughout the whole season where it was like simple like youth basketball type of mistakes like Oh, I don't know who I'm sure. guarding type of thing, you know, and so because it's been so prevalent, if it were just a one off in a 1230 game on a Sunday, like that's one thing. But it's it's who we've been. No, it has. And it's funny,
2: right? Because there's literally no players that are on the roster from last season besides LeBron James, Anthony Davis and Austin Reeves. And oh, like, yeah. like Wenyon, right? So yeah. it's just like when you speak of like the character of the team, you know how there are times where, Mike has described this a bunch, and and I know that he saw this a bunch with Kobe, but I know that he sees it with LeBron as well, is that there is a certain amount of puffing out your chest that you're able to do when you have a dude as bad as that on your side. It's just like you walk into the gym with one of the best players in the world. I'm sure the Bucks feel this way. I'm like, right? Where it's just like, oh, especially when that dude's like a physical marvel. And it's just like, oh, oh no, we got we got this dude on on our side. And that's a thing that cuts both ways though. It, it can also, and to a certain extent, they've got two of those guys with Anthony Davis as well, when AD is playing at like his peak level. And sometimes that allows for when you think that you can physically outdo the guy in front of you, you don't always have the right mental locked inside because the physical side can make up for that mental side. And when you're talking about those number one overall pick level dudes that can carry over even more, not for them necessarily, but for the people who are in their
1: wake. The the one concern though, is that how physically in particular, like dominant can he be at this point, both in terms of years in his career, but also coming off of this foot injury. Like I'm not expecting him to plant that into the ground and raise up for a dunk anytime soon. Me neither. But I will say that when you talk when you said, Hey, I want to start
2: with well with defense, there was a possession that stood out to me where LeBron and AD are both in the game together. And A D is the ball swings, I think. But basically LeBron ends up defending a ball screen on one side of the court while AD ends up on the other side. So ball screen is on the
1: left wing. Is LeBron the on on ball defender? He is not the on ball oh, defender. He's the he is
2: the guy guarding the screener. Got it. Yes. And he plays in a drop. And the way that the guard, the way that the ball handler went into him, and LeBron sort of like just got big and was in the drop and was just in a stance and just looked like a big dude. Mm-hmm. It made it so that the play didn't progress in a downhill manner. It's just like everything just sort of stalled. And I thought to myself, man, like there's no other there's no other wing, quote unquote, on the team that plays that is that player defensively. Right. And so I love what Vanderbilt's been doing defensively as like this chaser and and wing athlete um obviously we we know what what ad does um one of the reasons why i was disappointed that Rui didn't play in the last game is that he's provided a certain amount of like on ball physicality against bigger wings Mm -hmm. that like you just sort of take for granted when it's not a dude his size who is doing and then it's
1: lonnie walker doing it and you're like oh patrick williams is just easily shooting over the top of this guy yeah
2: And Wenyon is just a different type of big in a drop coverage. Like he jabs at the ball a lot. Wenyon's the type of athlete where I feel like, man, like if he was, instead of being 6'10", if he was like 6'3 or 6'4", like he'd be like a great hurdler. Mm. He's very upright and angular. Mm -hmm. And he's this dude who who can like get down and then like explode really quickly. But guys get into his chest a little bit. And so he's like just sort of this long and lanky athlete and the way that he moves is very fluid and you're like oh man like look Mm -hmm. at this
1: dude just get up and down the court and he can run so effortless he jumped a passing lane the other day where he got like the deflection and then made this like running reverse layup behind his head like how did he not fall down doing that like most pigs fall down doing that and so yeah that level of agility at the five spot in particular is super helpful he doesn't have that ballast Where when he gets down
2: in a stance, the way that LeBron is just like sort of this wall and dudes still do not want to attack him and go into his chest because they're not going to get any ground that way. Right. And so having that on the same court as Anthony Davis, with then a player like Vanderbilt, who has the ability to chase Right. This is where the Lakers defense can come come together. And LeBron is such a great quarterback defensively that he can be both a backline defender and an on ball defender in in a way that like only AD can do. But it's like but AD is still on the court as well. And so it it exponentially allows the Lakers to do more defensively and shut things off in in a way where if LeBron is engaged and he does have just regular mobility. Yeah. Right. If he's compromised at all physically in a way where it's noticeable and he wasn't, he wasn't in the last mm-hmm. game that the Lakers are going to be fine defensively, particularly if Vanderbilt is out there, too, because Vanderbilt as a big is not it.
1: That's not. right, and LeBron's presence allows him to be out on the perimeter. Like it's one of those things where it's like he's not it, but I also completely understand why he's getting minutes at the four uh, with LeBron out, just because of you know the the roster that we have. But LeBron being there puts him in his strongest parts. Like I said, man, watching him go from Luca and Bi and DeRozan the other day, that was even despite his bad Booker. plus minus Booker, he was great on Booker. Like. When we started seeing him do this, that's why I was like, this is a game changer for us because we don't have that type of defender and that type of defender is super valuable. But to put him out there, I'd love him every minute that he's out there to be more of a perimeter defender than a big uh, to, but to do that, it, you need another guy back there that can win the ground game, especially. That's where I think of with LeBron is that he is so smart and understands the other team, what they're doing and their plays and whatnot. He can beat guys to the spot, not with his quickness, but with his anticipation. He's like, oh, I know what you're trying to do. I'm going to beat you to, to this spot right here and kind of blow things up. It's very Draymond-esque, right, when he's at his best defensively. And it just adds a different type of defender that also slots Vando in a great spot. Well, he's such a physical player still, mm-hmm. too, right? And
2: and so you drive into LeBron and you don't gain leverage against him, right? And and so he is consistently—I've described LeBron dry, as a driver offensively and like putting players in the sidecar, right? And he just sort of keeps them there. Well, he does the same thing defensively when guys drive on him and they try to put the shoulder on him. Mm-hmm. He's just—he'll—he'll he'll just ride them and and like okay and then he has the ability to track steps with them and then when they go up to shoot he goes up to challenge mm-hmm. and they've almost got no chance to finish over the top yep. of him if they are the same size or smaller than than him and most of the guys he is too strong that they're not able to explode towards the basket mm-hmm. against him and it's why he gets so many blocks yep. on the ball that way it's just He's just that good. And so that that winning the ground game, he can slide. And he's such a good player in terms of understanding defensive angles that it's just like, okay, well, he's going to win a lot of those. And this is where the other players need to lock in around him a little bit more, right? And this is why the pl- the, the guard rotation is so important to me and who plays at guard and what is their defensive acumen and what is their ability to to sort of lock in and play at the level that's needed because it's all pieced together Pete and you can't have these guys on the back line and expect them to cover for everyone because things will break down yep. at that point So, why don't we go to break here? And on the other side, we can talk a little bit more defense, but I do want to dive into the offensive side of the ball.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: I would like to start with the starting lineup and on the offensive end in particular. This is going to be our first time, ideally. We'll see about about D'Lo, right? But if he plays, D'Lo, Austin, Vanderbilt, LeBron, AD. I've been dreaming about this particular lineup in particular. I think it's our our best five. Um, And... One of the things I've been talking about a lot this year is the jump shooting of LeBron and AD and what a dip that it's taken. Now, there's only so many ways you can kind (laughs) of finagle your way around that they are going to have to hit jumpers at, at, at some point for us to reach our highest level but i think that this gives our floor in terms of jump shooting uh, I, or this puts our floor jump shooting wise so much higher but also the ball handling on the perimeter cuz like beasley is a better catch and shoot guy than austin is by a fraction i'd say but the difference in ball handling and passing and decision making and then defense on the other end i just think is a a massive difference and so i see a lot of guys that can break down a defense and create advantage and Enough to kind of make up for the lack of jump shooting from both Vanderbilt, but also the the dipping numbers in that respect of LeBron and AD. And so, I'm super excited to to watch that five in particular. What are your thoughts on them?
2: This is where D'Lo is so important. If you have Dennis as the starter next to Austin, and it's this same exact group, I think they could still be successful offensively. But I think that you're going to see that one extra defender who is going to be in the paint and not a guy who is a high level enough shooter to punish
1: it consistently. Yeah, you're okay with Dennis shooter jumpers if you're the defensive coach.
2: Yes. And so one of the things that I've liked about D'Lo is that he has shown a great amount of comfort level as an off-ball player. And in fact, he has been morphing. More and more into an off-ball player as Austin's on-ball reps have gone up, mm-hmm. and when the Lakers go to their three-guard lineup with Dennis, Austin, and and D'Lo, it's rarely D'Lo that is bringing the ball mm-hmm. up. It's almost always Austin. It's like probably like sixty percent Austin, and then like twenty-five mm-hmm. Dennis, and then like fifteen D'Lo in terms of the player who starts the possession with the ball and that
1: trio that three guard lineup has been the one three guard lineup that we've had that's been killer it's like a plus 30 and over in terms of net rating in about 100 minutes yeah because the three guys that can run a screen
2: and roll dennis is in the corner and he is dennis is a baseline player Mm -hmm. he is a baseline player and so it's just like he's not the same sort of player at all but it reminds me of of like how rip hamilton almost always just stayed along the baseline Mm -hmm. and he just Ran Run around screen yep. the, the, the entire game like like Mr. floppy right <laughs> freaking always running floppy actions so Dennis can shoot the corner three but when he drives he loves to rack baseline every single time doesn't matter if he's going left or going right he's going baseline and so when you have those two guards up high in Austin and Delo, right? This allows you to play two-sided action and D'Lo particular can space on opposite side while strong side action is going on and be a threat. Oh yeah. Both to hit the three or or come off screen actions to curl into the lane and then run second side pick and roll Mm -hmm. action. And I am, I think most excited about that prospect of having three pick and roll ball handlers on the court in terms of LeBron now instead of Dennis with Austin and D'Lo have three screening options in AD LeBron and Vanderbilt and all of the different combinations within that. And then have Austin and D'Lo as shooters. And there's no one on the court that can't do everything that you want to do mm-hmm. offensively. Even Vanderbilt will space to the corner and shoot the corner three if he has to, but he's a good screener, mm-hmm. he's a good cutter, and he just understands like how to screen mm-hmm. backside as well. So there's a lot to like yeah. offensively with this group and LeBron can unlock
1: a lot of this because of his passing as well. Yeah, he brings certain attributes to the table that no one else does, even amongst talented on-ball players. And he really brings that force element off of the dribble. There's nobody else. Dino can do this to to guards of a certain size for sure, but our guys are generally not the sidecar guys, right? Where you get a, yeah. a head and shoulder past them and they kind of seal that guy on their side because of their uh, superior strength and physicality. That's not D'Lo's game. It's not Austin's game. It's not Dennis's game. And so to have that as one of your on-ball options from the perimeter in particular is super important, right? And again, certain matchups, that's going to be helpful. <clears throat> but in the Bulls game, we saw uh, LeBron in the post a lot, right? Because they had Alex Crusoe yeah. on him quite a bit. And I thought we saw some kind of flickers of of uh quality play off of that that i think can help ad and then the shooters and the kind of the cutters off of Braun. it just gives us a different look like i wish we had more games because i think that the fully realized version of this team is kind of this cool zig when everybody else is zagging type of team where you've got two players that you can run a lot of offense through the post in and then multiple players lebron ad Rui dennis Austin, who are really good in mid-range, D'Lo, right? We've got a lot of guys who are good mid-range shooters, like unusually so. And so defenses are particularly designed to be great against that part of the, the court. And so I just wish we had more time to kind of fully realize this, but talk to me a little bit about LeBron and the post, because I think that that's something, obviously I've been, been uh, barking up this tree all, all year long, but I do think it's something that with this team and we talked about the offense swirling around AD with these shooters and guys who can get open and knock down shots. You can do the same with LeBron, who's really one of the best passers ever at that and finding those guys. So I yeah. think there's a lot of exciting stuff there.
2: At this stage of his career... He is a post player as much as anything else, Mm -hmm. right? There was a part of his career where he was almost always a perimeter driver. And then if guys went under screens on him, then he had to evolve to become a jump shooter. But then when he went to Miami and he played basically power forward a lot more offensively, then he went to the post more and more and more. Right. And at this stage of his career, he does way more big man stuff in terms of screening, like on ball screening and then diving and then diving into post-ups. Remember, the the last game he played before this Bulls game was the game against the Mavs. Mm -hmm. And he took over down the stretch of that game, almost all from the post. And so he was just overpowering. A small Mavs team that didn't mm-hmm. really have a wing defender to put on him. And so it's just like, oh, here's Reggie Bullock. And right. Like, and he was just backing these, these dudes down and finishing in the paint with like step throughs and little turnaround jumpers and, and and power finishes off of drop steps. And this is what he can do against so many opponents. I actually hope that it reshapes the offense a little bit Hmm. because what's clear to me is that the offense isn't going to reshape itself just based off of what Anthony Davis does. Right. Right. It's just like, like AD is not the guy that you're going to be like, oh, well,
1: we're going to post him 20 times a game. And this is something too, that like around the league for at least a couple of decades, like Getting the ball to your big, if if your dominant player on the court is a big, it's a little more complicated to get shots when the defense is geared up to stop that guy. This isn't something that's necessarily unique to our team. No, it's not. And and Embiid
2: is also one of those those guys where as great as he is, his touches now come more and more late in late games off of like pick and slot pop type of plays where he's getting the ball at the elbow or further out. Mm. Or it's Harden creating out of a pick and roll where that's why that's why their ceiling is going to be so much more dependent on what Harden can do Mm -hmm. and what Maxi can do as ball handlers versus like obviously Embiid is a dominant player. But the interesting thing about LeBron is that he is not posting against bigs, right? Right. He is posting against smaller dudes. And so those entry passes are easier. And then he has the ability to then play out of the post in ways that will open up all of these weak side actions. And he is such a good passer that he will pick guys out in ways that are going to benefit the team a lot more right? And so we've, we we had a long discussion about Beasley the last pod, but I honestly think Beasley and Vanderbilt can be the biggest beneficiaries Absolutely. of LeBron's return offensively, right? Because of their cutting and shooting and the screen actions that work around LeBron, he has worked best with guys just like this over the course of his career. So I am thrilled to get LeBron back as a post player. And, and also too, like, This is where just like we talked about having second side actions in terms of like ball handlers who can be pick and roll threats, having two having two post players on each side of the ball or on each side of the court is super helpful as well, right? So you can duck in from either corner with LeBron or AD, or that duck in from the opposite dunker spot to get offensive rebounding position. Those are all things that are going to help the Lakers in the, the bigger picture. Then that leads to transition Defense questions and and a lot of stuff, right? But LeBron in the post, it's going to be a great equalizer and a good slowdown option for this team's offense when they haven't had that specific thing. And it's just like you're they've just been overly dependent
1: on the guard shot creation. I think Th- that's something too where he's a little bit different in terms of how he posts up than AD, because AD is such a high center of gravity guy. You were talking about that play that you remembered where he didn't duck in. He doesn't do that a ton, and he doesn't win a lot of like low to the ground type of plays offensively. He's a guy that's going to catch and face up and beat you off of the dribble or catch and drop step off of it or shoot a floater going middle. But LeBron's really the guy who, oh, you switched a small guy onto me like i'm going to use a post seal and just impeccable technique and i'm going to drive you into the ground basically i'm going to push you all the way under the basket on this post seal and so that whole like ground game versus aerial game idea to me like lebron's more of the ground post up player whereas ad's more of the aerial over the top type of guy and i think that that's going to it's going to be super helpful to have two guys that kind of go about it in a different way in that respect that said though i keep going back to the jump shooting man like i think this is of the basis yeah this is the foundation of where we should play through and that along with the pick and roll type stuff i like i don't want to go to get away from what we've done this year right in terms of guard play it's just lebron i think brings brings the action more into the post uh and gives you another reliable look right there but yeah in terms of that's going to collapse the defense in ways it's a way of getting penetration that's not off of the dribble are, are you in a similar spot to me on the jump shooting thing? Because that's something that I can't think of a star duo around the NBA that is a worse jump shooting pair at this point than LeBron and AD. And that's like- made up to a degree for their the pressure that they put on the rim but like ad for example we called the play game two of the 2020 western conference finals we called the play to get him a three on the move and he drilled that to win the game right and so it's just this like missing aspect to me that puts the rest of it together that i just love to hear your more in-depth thoughts on the jump shooting of our stars because it's something i've been concerned about all year
2: well yeah there's a reason that you're concerned it's and i think that Regardless of what the numbers say, the players tell you what what their comfort level is around any Mm -hmm. aspect of their individual game, right? And so there were stretches during the season where LeBron was taking eight, nine threes a game, and you knew that's when he was confident in his jumper. His jumper stopped falling, and then suddenly that's – not suddenly, but gradually over the stretch of a couple of weeks, it's, okay, well, that's six and a half threes a game. Like, oh, that's five threes a game. That's four and a half threes a game. And it's just like, okay, well, he's clearly
1: not as confident with this three-point shot right now. And Well, you see him he, pump fake sometimes. Like, he'll have open looks and he'll, like, kind of give that that first double clutch, right? And it's a break rhythm type of three where it's obvious he doesn't really want to take that shot. Because when I've seen him get those shots plenty of times over the years where he's like, oh, hell yeah, this pick and pop open three, I'm going to – this is an easy shot for me. And he he doesn't seem to like it.
2: No. So, and this is where too, it's just like, I wonder some of this is, I'm not blaming this on the coaches, but like, what are the coaches emphasizing and what are they preaching? Because the things that you preach often come at expense of like something else. And if you're repeatedly told to attack the basket, then odds are Mm -hmm. that that means that there's probably less confidence in your ability to hit the outside shot. Right. And, And so- And then if you combine that with an individual player's sort of own shakiness with their own jumper, then that... Leads to situations where, well, this guy is not shooting any threes at, at all. It goes back to that comment that you said that Frank Vogel had in AD's first season, where he's just like, you know, well, no, I would want this guy shooting three or four of these a game, mm-hmm. and it's more like I believe in you. Keep keep shoot, shooting these. It's clear the guards have the green light to shoot the three whenever they want. Be, like we've got it on tape with Darwin talking to Beasley, like, no, man, this is what you do. I think LeBron and AD need to get back to showing confidence that they're going to take and make. That three. I like when AD shoots the three ball. I like it, especially when it comes within the context of an overall package of his offense, mm-hmm.
1: though. It's a side dish, for sure. It should never be the, the main thing, but if it's not available at all, I think that's harmful in a way where it just makes him way easier to guard. It's always
2: about striking the right balance, mm-hmm. though, right? And so the side dish, that that's the perfect way to, to describe it to me. It's just like, well, you you need some of that on your plate because it helps balance out the rest of the meal, right? If they're not taking it, and this is especially true for LeBron because LeBron is still a perimeter player Mm -hmm. too. If AD is going to play forward and he's not basically, (laughs) then like, I think he really needs to have this as part of his arsenal. When he is in this four out one in system, like I think it needs to be a part of things but if he's I think the way I could describe it is with LeBron back back in the mix with him and D'Lo in Austin and then Dennis as the fourth ball handler I have enough confidence in the decision making of the four main ball handlers that if AD is screening and rolling Almost all of the time, I feel pretty
1: comfortable with like whatever the outcome of the play is going to be, if that makes it sense. It does. But do you think he should be picking and popping? Because we've seen a lot of defenses collapsing into the paint. We'll see it against against uh, Chicago on Wednesday. To me, that those yes. are the times where like take a couple of those. Instead of rolled with the basket, pop out behind the line, they're gonna be way off you. It's a practice it's a practice jumper. That's how you get that side dish on the plate. So here's an interesting question. So,
2: yes, I do think that he should be picking and popping. I also think that one of the things we've seen less of with Delo out is teams icing screen and rolls with AD on the court. Oh, that's a good observation. Yeah. Because one of the things that you try to do in order to not have to go over the top of a
1: screen mm-hmm. <laughs> when you have a pull up jump shooter is to ice. The ball screen. So right? this is when because the ball. Then, you keep this is when the ball's on the side of the court, like free throw line and below, and the guard ball handler. Instead of really defending the guy with the ball, he's going to be like, "We're not going to let you go middle." That's what icing a screen is. If yes. you're not familiar with the term, and so uh, of that ilk, we've run a lot of side ball screens like that. That's a way that teams will like to to defend that. So, what's the impact of that on AD? In terms of his jump shooting, when you ice the ball.
2: Ball screen, the natural shot off of that is the pop. It is the jump, right. right? Because the pass that's open is the pocket pass to the guy who's sitting literally in the pocket, which is going to be around the elbow area. And
1: you also have, because the defensive player that's guarding the ball handler is not right in front of them, you need the big to be the person that's right between the ball handler and the basket. Because if you have the ball handler off to the side, preventing middle, and the big doesn't hedge, it's just a straight line drive to the basket. So the defensive big is occupied. In in the paint, in the interior, or, or close to it at least, in ways that where that shot you're talking about is wide open.
2: Yes. And so one of the things that I, and this is just a hunch of mine, but this is where I'm at, is that that shot being the shot that's open makes it very easy for AD to like not have to like pop. But it's just like this is this is the symmetry of the play. My guess is that AD is being told to roll. <laughs> Right. On most screens. And if he's popping, if because the only big that generally pops is Bomba. And when Bomba pops, he pops all the way out to be on the three point line. And if AD this is where AD's confidence in his own three, it's just like, am, should I be shooting the three or should I be going to the basket? And this for whatever mm-hmm. reason, he's like, I should be going to the basket more and so would you want do you want ad popping to 18 or 20 feet i remember in like his first couple of seasons you were just like ah he needs to pop to the three-point line because that's the shot like i don't want him taking 20 footers and so would it be progress to you if he starts to pick and pop but he's popping to 16 feet to 18 feet and that's the open shot strong
1: yes because we got to stop having eight shot attempt nights for anthony davis and that's one of the ways to add to that like i want it at 18 rather than than eight and a lot of times when teams are collapsed into the paint That's the open shot But also if he doesn't want that particular shot On that pop You could just flow into a handoff With the guy that's next to you On the other side of the court yes. And what you're doing in that Is that since For example the ice that you described If the defense is back there And you go to the pop But AD doesn't want the shot And it flows say to say to D'Lo or say LeBron Right there All of a sudden All of the defensive attention is back there And you've got a two-on-one up top Where AD's setting the screen on a hand. Handoff. We run these handoffs all the time, so it's been super fun to get into the uh, the nitty gritty of, of all this with you. We got to wrap up. Uh, we will be back tomorrow to preview the game against Chicago, our second one. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
0: Gaines has got it in low to Mikhail. Mikhail wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken
1: up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores.
2: There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good! About Three seconds
0: left. That next to the winner. It. It's on the way. Kobe <laughs> Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, standing so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed—a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's it's the move. Two, going. one. Miss it! Unbelievable. It. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah